Hello and welcome to the Brodacious Book Club. It's the podcast where we host a book club. And I haven't read the book. I'm your host, Matt Thomas, and with me is my good, good bro, the bro holy knight to my bro to joy, Aaron Rockford. Thanks. Trying to get into the festive spirit. Exactly right. The holiday season. (laughs) Every episode, we review a new book read by me and discussed with Matt. I often know nothing or very little about the books discussed, providing a sort of sounding board slash peanut gallery with occasional humorous bent. Basically, if I understand the book and its nuances by the end of the podcast, so will you. And that means we've done our job. We're trying to help you, the listener, understand the nuances of books and stories without having to read them. Because you're busy. And we get that. And because we will be diving right into these books, we always like to issue a spoiler alert because we'll be discussing major plot points, characters, stuff like that. If you're expecting that that might be an issue, we encourage you to read the book for yourself and then come back and listen to our thoughts afterwards. Absolutely. And this is meant for entertainment purposes only. That is key. This is a comedy podcast, question mark. We mean no disrespect to the books or the authors discussed. And as Aaron said, I always encourage you to read the books for yourself. We're not professional critics, we're just two people who think we're funny. And with that, a little a little <laughs> preamble is that we are breaking from our normal method of presenting <laughs> this podcast. Uh, and I have read this book, as I'm sure have many of you, perhaps through being subjected to it in fourth grade, like me. <laughs> and I don't mean subjected in a bad way. I loved it. Still do. Haven't read mm. it since I was 10 years old, but I have read it in the past. So, mm. so this will be interesting. Indeed. And without further ado, Erin, what are we reading today? Today we're reading The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe by C.S. Lewis. That's right. Of course, the first, well, the first book published in the Narnia series. Mm -hmm. Obviously, first book is a little bit complicated with this because there is a book that comes before this chronologically, but was a prequel and published after. So anyway, for our purposes, this is the first Narnia book. Which, for the record, is my favorite. Not this one, the prequel, Magician's I love The Magician's Nephew. I really do, but... I don't remember The Magician's Nephew well enough, but That's fair. That's I guess fair. I guess maybe we'll get there. I guess maybe we'll get there. Who knows, depending on how this goes. But as Aaron will note, this is a Christmas book. Father Christmas makes an appearance. He does. Santa is in this book. He gives gifts. Yes. So, Christmas book. So, we wanted to review this as part of our... Around Halloween, we did something spooky, so why not around the holidays in December do something a little festive, you know? Exactly. And there's a lot to unpack here as well. In fact, we actually accidentally went on a Narnia (laughs) tangent a couple of episodes ago. Yeah, if you've listened to our episode on Every Heart a Doorway by Shannon McGuire, you might have heard us go into Narnia rants every few minutes. Yes. So clearly there's a lot to talk about here. There is. There is. And it'll be good to get it all out, unpack it, discuss it. And hopefully because Narnia is such a popular series that mm. so many people have gotten exposure to y'all can i don't know re- relate without even having to read it you can follow <laughs> along with us you yeah know? i suspect many people are probably in the same position that you are and that i was before rereading the book for this which is that like you maybe hadn't read it since you were a kid mm-hmm. and therefore maybe your memory of it is not perfect <laughs> exactly right and you know like, oh, what can i say i was a pretty sharp kid but i was still a 10 year old right so i'm sure i missed yeah. so much mm-hmm. Which I'm very excited 
to go over with you. Yes. Um, I'm sure we all missed so much. And that being said... Mm-hmm. I definitely missed the Christian allegory stuff when I read it as a kid. Yeah, well, that's just <laughs> it. That's that's a perfect segue into discussing that. There's a lot of Christian symbolism here. And given that we're reviewing this in the holiday season, we don't mean for this to be an exclusively Christian episode. Not not by any means, no. not by any stretch. But it's accessible and it there's certainly a lot to discuss for better or for worse. Yes. What with the Christian allegories, right? Yeah. So and it was it was more that this just like we didn't necessarily set out to make a Christmas episode. Mm-hmm. It was more just that we had had this in the plans for a while and it just made a little bit of sense to do it now. Mm-hmm. You know, in sort of the lead up and as we said, because Santa appears. Santa. Santa's here. Santa's here. Yeah. It's so, a it's a Christmas book. There you have it. And with that, I guess I'll ask my my initial mm-hmm. probing questions. So this is the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, mm-hmm. which is the second in a seven part series. Is I believe so. Yes, part? I yeah. believe there are seven books. Yes, and it kind of sets the premise for the world of Narnia, as I understand mm-hmm. it. You know, explains to you characters, the mm-hmm. the major geopolitical players yeah. within the world of Narnia, and it's it's interesting to me too because Narnia was expanded on like the world of Narnia was expanded on quite a lot in later books like mm-hmm. we actually don't get a lot of information mm-hmm. in this initial book about some of the broader aspects of the world mm-hmm. the copy I was reading had a map of the world of Narnia mm-hmm. in it which I thought was really interesting because I don't think in C.S. Lewis's mind did a lot of these actually exist in like the layout that it was oh, like really? it's got Narnia and Arkenland Arch- oh really it's got all the others yeah and like okay. Callerman and the Lone Island yeah the Lone Island and yeah, yeah, yeah. all this stuff that like isn't referenced in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe mm-hmm, at all. Mm-hmm. Really cool. Okay, because I remember when we, I vaguely remember, when we read through it grade four, which was coincidentally about the time that the movie was coming out. Yes. There were maps of Narnia, but the, like, of the, the country, Narnia, mm-hmm. but beyond that, I was quite unfamiliar. And I, I remember... This is getting a little ahead of ourselves, but I remember in some of the scenes of the movie Narnia, and I admittedly don't remember from the book, but the White Witch, the main antagonist, being referred to as the the Empress of the Lone Islands, and I was like, mm. "What the hell is that?" Yeah. So, <laughs> what are these things yeah. we're talking about? So, kind of cool that, that they get contextualized in later books. But, yeah, uh, which is why I wanted to start with not just because it's the most well known, but I wanted to start in the order they were written and published. Indeed, so we can maybe see the world expand. Very good. Very Very good. And with that, uh, so the author is... Of course. Clive Staples Lewis. I didn't know it was Clive Staples, actually. You learn something new every day. Staples. Staples. Cool name. Yeah. C.S. Lewis, as he's Mm -hmm. commonly known. Good friend of J.R.R. Tolkien. Good old jerk. That's right. And when... (laughs) Are you just calling him jerk? Yeah. Do you have a year for when this was published? Yes. So Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe came out in 1950. Just after the war. Yeah, just after the war. Which, of course, I believe C.S. Lewis fought in both world wars. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I was reading about this. I probably should have took notes on what exactly I read. <laughs> That's fine. That's fine. We're going to go ahead and say that he, he did. Yeah, he and, fought in at least one of them. Yeah, and you know, like a, this is a comedy podcast, so <laughs> be gentle with us. Comedy, comedy. We've covered the heavy Christian allegories, both as kind of a content warning and also this is yeah. something that we're going to be delving into yes. and unpacking from almost a, a I don't want to say academic because that makes us sound too official, <laughs> clinical 
uh, analytical. Analytical, maybe. Sure, analytical is the right word. And this is the least Jesus-y of the book. Indeed, as I recall, they get Jesus-ier. They do get Um, Jesus-ier. I should maybe just, again, with it being a comedy podcast, I do tend to be a little bit irreverent when it comes to (laughs) religious things. And so I, I apologize for that in advance. Yes, indeed. I also apologize for any apparent crassness that may come through. Yes. We, again, we mean no disrespect. That is key. Yes. And with that, would you like to explain to us the setting? What Narnia is? Yeah. I mean, I, I feel like most people, even if maybe they haven't read the books or seen the movies, have a basic understanding of mm-hmm. this story. You know, mm-hmm. it's the classic portal story. Children go through a magical wardrobe, spoiler alert, I guess, <laughs> and end up in this magical world called Narnia. And it's set during the Second World War that the children are coming from England during right. the Second World War. That's an important detail is that they are at this house of this mysterious professor because of the air raids going on in London at the time. Right, right. Very good. And do you want to explain a few of our of our characters? Maybe just their archetypes or however you want to approach it? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting the way this story is written. And I had forgotten a lot of the kind of narrative voice that these books have. And this is maybe just the way he wrote and also the way that stories were written back then. Like, just the norms were a little bit different. Like, there's things that read very strangely to me reading this in 2020 with, like, the type of narrative voice that I'm used to. Mm -hmm. And, like, the extent to which characters get, like, development. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That happens a little bit less. But the four main characters are the, the Pevensey children. There's Peter, who's the oldest. He's the leader of the group. He's Right. The the brave, heroic one. Big brother. The big brother, mm. yep. There's Susan, who's the oldest sister. She's sort of the, the sweet, gentle one. Mm-hmm. And there's Edmund, who's the younger brother, mm-hmm. who's kind of a bit of a... Shit. Yeah. <laughs> I was trying to think of the <laughs> word that yeah, wasn't... Yeah, no, I can see it in your eyes. That's <laughs> why I just he's said kind it. Of, he's kind of a pill. <laughs> <laughs> well said, well said. At least at the beginning of this. And then there's Lucy, who's the youngest. She's based on a real person in C.S. Lewis's life. Really? Um, I believe his niece, maybe? Really? I had no idea. Yeah, the the story was sort of written for her as like a means of entertaining her. Yeah. I believe the book is dedicated to Lucy, the real life Lucy. That's so sweet. That is very interesting. I had no idea, but that's definitely going to color my reading, shall we say, of this book. Lucy is sort of the most protagonist-y of them, especially Mm -hmm. in this one. She's the one who is brave in the way that small children in stories are brave if that mm-hmm. makes sense mm-hmm. like you know she's adventurous and daring and all that good stuff a little stuff. cheeky a yeah, little, a little precocious. cheeky a yeah. little precocious but just the sweetest thing yes Lucy's the best one but Lucy is adorable <laughs> yes <laughs> lovely okay good good so those are our main characters do you want to touch on any antagonists or any supporting characters do you want to save that until I think we, we get into I it I think we can save that until we get into it you got it very good then last question before we really dig in is there an arc a particular is this the hero's journey? I mean, it sort of is in a very, like, I don't want to say simplistic. Mm. I, I think I'm inclined towards that just because the book is pretty short. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's an adventure story. It's a very cozy adventure story in a lot of ways, too. Mm-hmm. Especially in book format where they can kind of skim over some of the rougher details of things. True. Which I think was very much the time period. Like, yes, these children are on a dangerous adventure, but it's not really all that dangerous. Mm-hmm. Like, yes, they are an actual peril during this, but if you were to compare 
compare it to books that are directed at children nowadays Mm -hmm. and just like the level of perceived or like felt danger as you're reading it is very different Mm. well very good then with that uh, without further ado (laughs) let's get stuck in how do we begin take it away i was actually kind of amused by the beginning lines of the book Mm -hmm. because it kind of sounds like an essay do tell so the first two sentences of the book are once there were four children named peter susan edmund and lucy this story is about something that happened to them when they were sent away from london during the war because of the air raids very matter bit. of fact. Yes, a indeed. Bit essay-like. A little bit. In this essay, I will tell you this. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. And they all kind of sound like stuffy English people. And I can't tell how much of this is accurate to the time <laughs> period and how much of this is just that maybe C.S. Lewis was just a... Stuffy Englishman. Bit of a stuffy Englishman. Yes. Like the first line of dialogue that's spoken once they get to the house belonging to someone known as the professor. Okay. This sort of old estate in the countryside. And the first line of dialogue is is spoken by Peter, and he says, We've fallen on our feet, and no mistake. This is going to be perfectly splendid. That old chap will let us do anything we like. Very posh. (laughs) Very posh. So posh. (laughs) Lovely. Like, all this stuff about, like, the children are very excited about going to bed and then going to look at birds the next Mm -hmm. day is Mm -hmm. their plan, because I guess there probably wasn't a lot to do in English countryside in the 1940s. Yeah, during the war. I think not, yeah. But, unfortunately, Unfortunately, they can't go out the next day and explore and look for birds because it's raining. Yes, I remember yes. that. Okay, yes. good, good. This is neat. This is really <laughs> neat having you retell a story that I very vaguely remember. Yes. Okay, so it's raining. They decide to explore the house instead, and Lucy opens a wardrobe and sees that it's full of fur, and she it's said that she loves the smell and the feel of the fur, mm. so she steps inside, which is a little bit odd. Odd, odd. But... Wouldn't your first instinct <laughs> be to take the fur out perhaps yeah. to put on a coat yeah but, but whatever small, she, small child yeah, she, I, yeah. I, I don't claim to understand the, the mind of a small child during the war in the English countryside yes. you know small posh child so she steps into the wardrobe and right. walks in and it's a little bit deeper than she expects it to be and then mm. all of a sudden she's walking through snow and mm. that's very strange actually what she says is this is very queer um, which <laughs> is a word that appears a lot because that was a very common I guess parlance back then Mm -hmm. but always makes me giggle just a little bit (laughs) i think i've pulled out a couple of examples of it just in places where it seemed especially funny (laughs) with like modern interpretation outstanding of course she has ended up in narnia right she is in a woods a forest a wood a wood a wood a wooded place (laughs) a wooded place and it's snowing yeah she takes this all very much in stride. Mm-hmm. I think maybe that is what children do. Mm. She immediately comes across a lamppost. How queer. Mm-hmm. And also a fawn. Sure. And the fawn is holding a bunch of parcels. Okay. And it's described as if he has just been Christmas shopping. Right. Which raises a lot of questions for me mm. immediately. Because mm. I know from the rest of the story that they don't have shopping in Narnia in the traditional sense. True. These questions will never be answered. I just felt like I needed to bring them up because the parcels are not mentioned again. That's what we're here for. That's what this is, (laughs) right? Anyway. So after he has recovered from the immediate shock of seeing her, because that's why he has the parcels, so he can go like, and throw them. Right. He immediately asks her if she's a daughter of Eve, Mm. which means a human in Mm -hmm. Narnia 
parlance. Mm-hmm. She tries to explain that she came from a wardrobe, which she thinks is a country. Mm-hmm. Wardrobe. Wardrobe. Yes, yes, I do. Re- I remember that from the movie, admittedly. In, in, I don't remember that from the book. In Spare Oom. Yes. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> you may also remember that this character was played by a very young James McAvoy yes. in the film. Oh, my God. Mr. Tumnus is the name of the fawn, and he also mentions not having covered geography in his schooling, which, again, raises some questions for me, but we're not going to get into that because we're not going to get the answers to the questions. And he offers to bring her back to his house, mm. and she goes with him because I don't think Stranger Danger was a thing in, in the, the 50s. 50s. Yep. He has this nice little little house, little hole, mm-hmm. and he's got books, and one of them is called Is Man a Myth, which mm-hmm. I thought was cute. Mm-hmm. He also serves toast with sardines, which is horrible, and, and tea, obviously. <laughs> Was that a thing in the 50s? Apparently, Toast and sardines? Or was that just a it's fawn li- thing? It's No, it's it's laid out as if that would be a thing you would expect to get with tea. So Okay. And he talks about how Narnia used to be really awesome, used <laughs> to be really lovely, mm-hmm. and now it's all just winter and it's sad. Mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. you know, now that the, the queen of Narnia, or the, the white witch, mm-hmm. is in charge, mm-hmm. things have been bad since then. Mm-hmm. And then after he has gone through all of these stories, he confesses to her that he is attempting a kidnapping in process. Mm-hmm. He he sort of does this, I think, of his own accord. Just man. just off the cuff mentions that, by the way, I'm trying to kidnap you right now. I think I remember that, <laughs> I, again, not from the book. I'm a very bad literary <laughs> reviewer. Uh, I remember it from the movie, the and movie, I remember it being out of left field. The movie is pretty faithful. Yeah. Lucy basically says, oh, but don't, maybe? Yeah, yeah. But you haven't. Yeah, yeah. but let's not. She deals with it, I think, much more calmly in the book than she does in the movie. In the movie she shows more human emotion, which may be a bit of a theme mm-hmm. of these books. And so, of course, he is moved by her plea, and he brings her back to the wardrobe in one mm. piece, and he, he mentions offhand that like he's worried about the queen's spies, but mm. she gets back and she's all, she's all safe. We learn that time moves differently in Narnia because she hasn't been gone for long. Like she, mm. she stayed with him for hours in this visit, but when she got back, had only been gone for like a minute, maybe. Mm-hmm. And of course, her siblings don't believe her about going to Narnia. Right. And a few days later, she manages to find her way back through the wardrobe mm. into Narnia and Edmund is sort of looking for an opportunity to like tease her more about it. Little shit. Yeah. And so he follows her into the wardrobe. Also, every time anyone goes into this wardrobe, the narrative makes a point of saying that they don't close the door behind them because it's bad to close yourself in wardrobes. And I kept waiting for this to like come up in a plot relevant way, Mm -hmm. but it doesn't. And so I think maybe it was just in there for children to be like, hey kids, don't shut your in That's cute. <laughs> That's nice. Yes, Lewis. <laughs> it is cute. That's kind of sweet. <laughs> so Edmund, of course, also finds his way into Narnia. He meets a beautiful but cold woman in a sleigh. Ah, yes. Yeah. Ah, yes. <laughs> For context here, the White Witch was probably my first crush <laughs> and honestly continues to be. <laughs> Tilda Swinton is pretty hot. Tilda Swinton is... Go on. Do go on. <laughs> I'm just going to oh, leave that where it lost is. Lost my train of thought. <laughs> <laughs> and she's she's very rude to him at first. She announces herself as the Queen of Narnia. But then once she finds out that he's a son of Adam, mm. she becomes very sweet to him and, mm-hmm. and enticing. And we, of course, have the scene where he asks for Turkish delight. Yes. Leading generations of children to think Turkish delight is more delicious than it actually is. And she Myself asks, included. Yeah. And you, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. She 
asks him a bunch of questions about his siblings and entices him to bring them back to her through the wardrobe. And also there's a detail about how the Turkish delight is like addictive mm. in some way. Mm -hmm. Like there's something about the magic that she uses that means it's not just normal Turkish delight that's really good. It's also right. addictive Turkish delight. Right. So she, she leaves him. He meets back up with Lucy. They head back through the wardrobe into the house. He, again, immediately decides to be a bit of a pill. And when the older siblings ask, you know, hey, where, where were you? And Lucy says, oh, we went back to Narnia and Edmund came with me so he can attest to this. He lies and says that he has no idea what she was talking about. Mm -hmm. I remember that. Yes, yes. And it's explained that he does this because he's worried that his siblings will side against the witch if he were to bring them to Narnia, mm -hmm. which is probably a good instinct. But Peter and Susan go to talk to the professor mm -hmm. about Lucy and say like, oh, what, what could be happening with her? We're worried about her. She keeps talking about this magical land. And the professor says, oh, but what if she's right? Like, mm -hmm. what if she's telling the truth? And kind of presents them with a logical argument that... Ugh. Like, he, he asks them who among Lucy or Edmund is usually the most truthful. Mm. And when they say Lucy, he's like, oh, well, can't you just believe that maybe she's telling the truth now, too? And it's like, I don't mm. know about that, Professor. Mm. Obviously, we, the readers, know that she's telling the truth. But, like, under normal circumstances, mm. uh. mm -hmm. Maybe not an assumption. <laughs> yeah. A couple more days pass. And then there's a scene, which, again, you may remember from the movie, where it seems like they are almost magically chased into the wardrobe. Mm -hmm. You know, they're trying to avoid the house keeper and yes that's what it was yeah because she's kind of unpleasant they hear footsteps that herd them all into the wardrobe and they all end up in narnia and <laughs> they react to this again very britishly peter says by jove you're right it's trees <coughs> all around and this wet stuff is snow why i do believe we've got into lucy's wood after all <laughs> which is <laughs> By Jove! <laughs> By Jove! Which uh, is such a... Again, they react to everything, like, very understatedly. Yeah. <laughs> it's not like, oh my god, you're right. It's, By Jove, I do believe we're in Lucy's <laughs> yeah. wood. Oh, good stuff. And so, so Susan is cold and suggests that they borrow coats from the wardrobe mm. to adventure out into Narnia with. The others are like, oh no, we can't steal. And she's like, well, technically we're not taking them outside of the wardrobe. Mm -hmm. Which, like, Susan should be a lawyer, probably. Yeah, that's clever. <laughs> it she is, is clever. the clever one. She is the clever one. They find Mr. Tumnus's house ransacked. Mm -hmm. And there is a helpful note there also telling them that he has been arrested by the secret police. Mm -hmm. Not very secret. Not very secret, honest, all things considered. But... And it does also raise the question of like, are there regular police in good this? Yeah, very good well, point. Because I don't think that there is a Narnia police force. Would the regular police be wolves also? Yeah. Because aren't the secret police all <laughs> the wolves? The secret police are definitely, at least the leader of the secret police is a wolf. Mogrim. Mogrim. Yes. yes. And yeah, he is a wolf. And again, these are police working for the person in power, which is, I mean, all police, but... <laughs> but like I guess I guess because the queen is like the authority here I don't understand the distinction between secret mm, and regular and regular it's a very good point probably, probably just an attempt to like <laughs> conflate uh, the white witches Narnia with communism. fascism Hitler communism <laughs> yeah, exactly authoritarianism bingo yeah. bingo things that deviate from the 
Christian liberal democracy in yes. which C.S. Lewis was living. Exactly. And also, this is a perfect spot to digress and discuss a little bit about the White Witch. Mm-hmm. So we'll get into her character and what she does a little bit later, mm-hmm. which will definitely lend a little bit more description. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, they, they do explain a little bit more about her backstory mm-hmm. later on. Mm-hmm. Like, obviously, the magician's nephew deals a lot more with, with her, her backstory. Origin, yeah. Yeah, but they do talk a little bit about where she came from. Well, just in terms of the Christian allegory mm-hmm. and narrative device that's used here, it's clear that the White Witch is meant to represent... Satan. Exactly. Yes. The devil, right? And I just wanted to stop and comment on the fact that the devil is being presented here as a beautiful, mm-hmm. tempting woman. Seductress. A mm-hmm. corrupting figure yeah. uh, similar to, to Eve in the garden, you yeah. know, providing Edmund with this delicious and addicting Turkish delight. Yes. Right? Yeah. Um, not, not much else really to discuss yet mm. regarding the symbolism, but I really wanted to point out mm-hmm. the fact that evil is presented as yes. a beautiful and cold woman. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Yes. Yes. Do go on. And I think that's an important thing to note in Mm -hmm. terms of the occasionally troubling gender politics in this. Well, that's just (laughs) it, isn't it? As are many things slightly troubling. And we're going to get into it. You better believe we're going to get into it. (laughs) What they do to my girl Susan is a tragedy. It is. Please go on. Please go on. So the kids decide that they want to help Mr. Tumnus, Mm -hmm. and they decide to follow this robin that appears to them. And Edmund asks a very reasonable question, which is that how do we know that the robin is good? How do Mm -hmm. we know the robin is on our side? You know, accepting the fact that he's just trying to make trouble, but that Mm -hmm. is a valid question. And Peter responds, robins are always good in stories, which, Peter, (laughs) that's not a good reason. Oh, Peter. Peter. Beautiful, stupid Peter. (laughs) Is Peter a himbo? I think that's like the third time ever that I've used that expression heard uh, that I've used that expression uh, heard that expression I should say and by Jove I think he is okay I think he is I mean Peter is definitely not the brains of this operation I think we can all agree on that one does Peter have a love interest no no okay. none of them do in the book well the others well, are pretty young well until yeah. later right well yeah and I mean and anyway we'll get into this if we get to the horse and his boy ever but Susan does have the almost engagement with that Kellerman prince right. in a very strange Helen of Troy situation. Right. But I was gonna say, yeah, no. Beautiful, stupid Peter, mm, who yes. is respectful but dumb. Yes, yes. In any a nimbo, <laughs> truly. Do go on, please. <laughs> So they they meet a beaver who produces a handkerchief that Lucy gave to Mr. Tumnus right. as sort of a sign that he's a good guy, a, right. a trustworthy friend. And he takes them back to his dam. Mr. Beaver mentions that Aslan is on the move. Ooh, and, Aslan. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the children all feel this like rush of good feelings and like warmth. And, right. Except Edmund, who feels bad mm-hmm. at the name Aslan. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think maybe, again, This is where I run into the, like, was not necessarily raised in, like, a church environment. Mm -hmm. But I think that that's part of, like, the whole, like, oh, like, the name of Christ is supposed to give 
good feelings. Mm-hmm. I was going to say, did it specify whether Edmund feels fear or guilt or or what? I think it's a combination of both. Okay. Kind of revulsion. Oh, so interesting. Yeah. So for, for our mm-hmm. readers, I guess we're analyzing as we go, so mm-hmm. this isn't really a spoiler, but Aslan is, of course, meant to represent... Jesus. Yes, that's yes. right. Um, kind of like a... And I know the lines are blurry here in actual Christian theology, or it's, it's complicated, rather, but kind of a, a Jesus-God combo figure, kind of. Yeah. When you take into account the magician's nephew. Yeah, and there's the emperor across the sea yes who is his indeed. father indeed who's supposed yeah. to i think be the god to aslan's jesus yes i don't think we see the emperor at any point in time i think he's only referenced through the entire series yeah i don't i don't think we ever see him but it's been a long time since i've read like the last battle yeah, so he could no be kidding. in that one so they have dinner with mr and mr b mr and mr beaver <laughs> <laughs> Mr. and Mrs. Beaver, but right. I do like to imagine the, right. I liked the version I was yeah, spinning no more. And they talk about ways of trying to rescue Mr. Tumnus, which means that they have to get to the witch's house. Mm-hmm. I think it's interesting that it's always referred to as the witch's house and not like castle. Yeah. They're very different words. They create a very different picture in my head. No kidding. And also, I realize she's tyrannical and a dictator, but she's also the queen. So yeah, is house really... Uh, I don't know. Do they do they mean it in the sense that like Buckingham Palace is the Queen of England's house? Yeah. Then again, <laughs> White House Right? Head of state lives in the White House. This is true. Not our head of state, I should clarify for our international (laughs) listeners. We are Canadian. We are. Yes. Peter suggests that they dress up as peddlers. Right. As like salespeople. Right. To get into the witch's house. Which again, oh Peter. Oh sweet, sweet Peter. Peter. (laughs) I just, I love, like obviously this doesn't happen, but I love the idea of it. (laughs) I wish it had. Sweet, stupid Peter. (laughs) Sweet, stupid Peter. And the beavers are basically like, don't worry, you don't have to come up with any plans. Aslan's going to fix everything. Right. Aslan's going to deal with it. Yeah. Which, again, is kind of... I understand that it's part of the, like, theology mm. and, like, the allegory that's happening. Mm. But also, that doesn't make for a very exciting story <laughs> in a lot of ways, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. They also talk about some of these old rhymes and, like, prophecies that mm. foretell of these sons of Adam and daughters of Eve that are going to come. And Aslan's going to roar and it's going to be great. I didn't actually write down the rhymes. The beavers also give some information about the witch. They say that she is a daughter of Lilith, which is interesting. That is interesting. I don't remember that. <laughs> Me either. I that's also, got implications. Yeah, I also did not remember this. For our listeners who might not be aware, I don't think this is Christian tradition in any way. I think this is... This is Jewish? I think it's from a Jewish tradition yeah, me too. that Lilith was Adam's first wife, mm-hmm. that she was also made from the earth, so mm. she was his equal in a way that Eve was not, because mm. Eve was made from one of his ribs, mm-hmm. and that she was disobedient, mm. and therefore she was cast aside, yeah. I guess, yeah. and Eve was made in her place. And I think Lilith was, her punishment was to give birth to demons, maybe? I'm. This is one of those places where I can't remember where like the actual... Mm-hmm. Theology ends <laughs> theology and fiction ends. begins. Yeah, and the, the fiction and the like 
common world, Mm -hmm. like what people have done with her character in fiction begins. Mm. But when you're talking about how the villain of this piece is a beautiful woman and kind of a temptress figure in some ways, Mm -hmm. in a very PG child friendly way, Mm -hmm. it's interesting to me that they tie her to this disobedient equal. Yeah. Yeah. Just interesting, (laughs) isn't it? It is. It is. That's Um, that's really interesting that I'm glad that you they mentioned that that there's humans and then there's things that look human but aren't and the mm. things that look human but aren't usually aren't good mm. and so the white witch falls under this category and then they also take a moment to be like okay but not all dwarves are bad because dwarves fall into that category of looking human but not being human mm-hmm. but aren't um, all dwarves kind of bad in the yeah. seriously yeah. I don't remember any good dwarves well there's the Peter Dinklage dwarf in Prince Caspian oh true yeah fair enough actually so I did also read Prince Caspian, which we may get to tonight or another day. Like recently? Yeah. Pr- pr- just now? For yeah. Prince Ca- oh, okay. Yeah. Sure. So I have notes on Prince Caspian. Anyway. Um, <laughs> just but, for extra credit? Just extra credit, Why yeah. not? Well, sure. I don't know how long this would take us. So. Oh, true. Right. Okay. So I also read Prince Caspian, and in Prince Caspian they make a distinction between red dwarves, which are usually good, and black dwarves, which are usually bad. Which uh, is some very troubling colors. Uh, to yes, it is. Right. Yeah. Again, starting, I think, with Prince Caspian, we really start to get into some very troubling racial dynamics mm-hmm. of the Narnia books. Yeah, I remember that. There are good dwarves, but it's sort of divided by color. Indeed. And I think it just means they're beards, but still. But still. The, I don't know, the connotation, right? Yes. Yeah. But in any case. Anyway, so during all of this conversation, Edmund has disappeared. Sure. Mr. Beaver knows that he must have gone to the witch, although he still lets the kids waste time searching for Edmund. Mm. And then is like, oh, no, he's gone to the witch. It's like, maybe we could have skipped Sped that up a yeah, little that, bit. Yeah, that one step in the middle there. He said he could tell from Edmund's eyes that he had eaten the witch's food. So there was some aspect of him that showed that he had had this Turkish delight mm-hmm. that was bad somehow, mm-hmm. addictive. Mm-hmm. They realized that he must have informed the witch about Aslan and about, you know, where they were and all this stuff. So they pretty much have to immediately flee. Mm-hmm. We learned that Edmund left when he heard the rhyme about Adam's flesh and Adam's bone, which I can kind of understand <laughs> being like actually I think I'm just gonna go yeah. like you guys are talking about weird stuff and this has been fun yeah I think I'm just gonna go get some more candy yeah. thanks for the toast and sardines or whatever <laughs> yeah. he's going through the snow to try and get to the witch's house and he keeps himself warm by thinking about how he's gonna be king when he delivers his siblings to the queen which is also how I keep warm in the Ottawa winters <laughs> <laughs> right right <laughs> anyway once he gets to the the queen's house tells her where they are says that they're you know at the beaver's house she knows where this is automatically there so there must not be mm-hmm. not a lot of landmarks not a lot of landmarks apparently in rural Narnia. yeah and she she tells her servants to get the sleigh ready and don't put the bells on which i thought was just kind of funny kind of cute yeah. kind of adorable <laughs> like, the fact that the witch usually goes around is with, with bells. the bells on yeah. it's a little uh, a little bit of whimsy to it be is. honest it is and makes it, me love her more it is <laughs> it's kind of cute. And that, and that she's like, okay, but don't do it this time. We need to be stealthy. That's right. <laughs> Eventually they pack up and they rush off into the darkness and through the wilderness and the snow and it's kind of miserable but they manage to keep going. They take a break for the night to get some rest and in the morning, Santa comes! Oh yes, yes they, we're here already, Father yes, Christmas, goodness. Yes, we arrive at Father Christmas's arrival. 
And this is one of the okay. things that I find to be kind of interesting, because again, like, there's so much, especially of Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, and Narnia as it's portrayed in this book and the earlier books that's very pagan, mm. or at least very, like, fantastical drawing on, like, they mentioned dryads mm-hmm. and... The fawn. Yeah, the fawn, stuff there's like that. There's a witch. Exactly. Like, the very, like, that isn't necessarily tied to Christianity, mm-hmm. and then you just have Father Christmas showing up, mm-hmm. and it's, like, canonically the same... Santa Claus, like Father Christmas, as in the normal world. Mm-hmm. It seems to be. I was just going to say, you, you kind of made me think about this. The fact that in this very explicitly, uh, less explicitly than the other books in the series, mm-hmm. but very explicitly Christian book, or a book that mm-hmm. is a Christian allegory in any case, the fact that they're comfortable with things like, I don't know, magic and monsters mm-hmm. and, and giants and dwarves and witchcraft whereas a lot of I don't know modern Christian literature rejects that Mm -hmm. and and says that it will let literal demons into your life Mm -hmm. right reading about it so just find it very interesting that C.S. Lewis was comfortable with that being such a devout man Mm -hmm. himself it is interesting, for sure. In any case. Father Christmas, obviously, he explains that his arrival means that the witch's power is waning, mm-hmm. and he gives them Christmas presents. He gives them weapons, which yes. is a little bit funny. These are tools, not toys. Yeah, I these are him tools, saying. not toys. Yeah. He gives Peter a sword, and he gives Susan a bow, mm-hmm. and also a horn, mm-hmm. and he gives Lucy a dagger, mm-hmm. and also a cordial of magic potion. Right. And he specifically tells Susan and Lucy not to use their weapons because battles are ugly when women fight, which is a bit of an odd <laughs> qualifier, but okay. Yeah, sure is. Also, you just gave them yeah. weapons, but don't use them don't because use you're them. a girl. Yeah. Okay. We're not so. going to tell Peter the yeah. same thing. Yeah, no. Here's your weapons, but you don't know how to use them, yeah. so just don't bother. <laughs> then he, he leaves saying, Merry Christmas and long live the true king. Right. Which is meant to mean Aslan and also Jesus. Mm-hmm. It's, I think, implied in the later books that it's not just that Aslan is an allegory for Jesus he's like meant to be a different version of him. Yes right like a parallel universe Jesus. Yeah that like fundamentally they are the same person Mm -hmm. and I think like that's not in this book specifically so we won't go too much into it but that's what I remember from later books. Mm -hmm. Well I wonder if it's it's kind of Father Christmas in Narnia and outside of Narnia Mm -hmm. I wonder if they have the same kind of exact parallel as yeah. an Aslan and a real world Jesus. Yeah. You know? Interesting. Mm-hmm. Just a little thought experiment. But mm-hmm. Do go on. So Edmund, meanwhile, is having a terrible time. Right. He's traveling with the witch. The snow is melting. They're miserable because eventually they get to the point where the sleigh can't go anymore. Also, the, the witch has this dwarf that's sort of her companion. Mm-hmm. And the dwarf is really awful to Edmund and is sort of one of the focuses of his like frustration. Mm-hmm. But we also get the context that the dwarf is the witch's slave. Right. Like, they specifically use the word slave, hmm. which is a very interesting word to use in this context. It sure is. Because you, I don't know, you'd think that maybe he would be less inclined to be on the witch's side if he was enslaved Indentured by her. servitude, yeah. But I think it's interesting that this dwarf is portrayed very villainously when it's like, he's maybe also a, a, a victim here Indeed. in this Good situation. 
nuanced take. Hey, thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> so the others finally reach Aslan and his army. There's this whole part where when they first see Aslan, they can't look at him directly and they kind of go all trembly. Right. Aslan asks where the fourth is. Uh, where's Edmund? And Peter takes the blame because he yelled at Edmund while mm. they were sort of like when they got to Narnia, he was like, hey, you you lied to us. You mm-hmm. specifically threw Lucy under the bus. Mm-hmm. So he he takes the blame for like having Hard been mean to Edmund. Edmund, which yeah. is like kind of nice. Good guy, Peter. Yeah, good guy, Peter. Mm-hmm. Himbo, Peter. Himbo, Peter. <laughs> Too true. We stand Himbo, Peter. Mm-hmm. We certainly do. <laughs> the girls are sent to go get dressed up. Meanwhile, Aslan shows Peter Care Paravel, which is the yes. castle that he and the girls will sit at. Shows like him. sort of in the distance. He's the, like, there right. is Care Paravel, okay, and someday yeah. you will sit on the throne. Meanwhile, the girls get attacked attacked by Malgrim, the mm-hmm. leader of the secret police, mm-hmm. who we will remember as a wolf. And Peter goes to fight him and Aslan is like, okay, Peter, you gotta, yeah. you gotta do this. Get you gotta, Yeah, get in there, buddy. Yeah. So Peter does kill the wolf and, and sort of earns his stripes, I guess, sure. by doing so. Yeah. Meanwhile, the rest of the people present just kind of look on, I guess. Just watched. Yeah. Yes. I do think there's some other wolves around that end up running back to the witch's camp. But anyway, in the aftermath, Aslan tells Peter to kneel so he can knight him. Mm-hmm. And in the book, it says that Aslan asks for Peter's sword to knight him with. Mm. He's a lion. He's a lion. I don't Stick understand. Stick it in his mouth like a kitty? No. That is a cute image. However, in... <laughs> In, in the copy of the ebook that I was working off of, there was an illustration of Aslan standing upright with like sword in hand. It was it was a scene where he was talking to the witch. Sure, but he had like normal kind of human proportions. Okay, which was a little bit upsetting to me. It is a little bit upsetting. That's a little bit disturbing, and but. I, I realize I'm maybe not the first person to make this joke, but is Aslan just a furry? Like, is that... <laughs> is he just Jesus in a fursuit? Well, is that what... Could be. I have questions. <laughs> I have questions Clearly we do. about this scene. Clearly we do. Clearly we do. Yeah, in the movie, I'm pretty sure he just, like, Peter kneels and he just uses his paw. Yeah, because he's like, a lion. Yeah, but... Because that would have been weird for him at that weird. point to stand up. <laughs> Can you on imagine? his hind legs. Can you imagine? In your sword, you know? Like, just... Him being person-shaped makes everything else so uncomfortable. <laughs> like, there's several scenes where Susan and Lucy ride on Aslan's oh, back. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And several scenes where they play with him, like, like roll around with him. Yeah. Which is very cute when he's a lion. Yes. Less cute if he's human-shaped. Yes, indeed. <sighs> I'm going to choose to believe the movie <laughs> version. Probably wise. Indeed. So the witch is going to just straight up kill Edmund. Sure. Because then Aslan's missing one of his boys and can't complete. Prophecy doesn't come true. Yeah, prophecy can't come true. Probably should have in retrospect. Yeah. <laughs> probably should have just done it. Yeah, that she probably should have maybe started with that. But we learn that her forces consist of every evil sort of race. I don't know if race species. Sure. Like she's got werewolves and giants. Giants and ghouls and ogres and minotaurs and hags and specters. Right. Like, just all the spooky things right. are in her army. Yeah. Which raises a lot of questions for me about what the politics of Narnia were with all of these subgroups pre-witch. It's true, eh? That's a good point. Probably marginalized. Probably. Probably like Scar and the Hyenas. Yeah. yeah. Like, maybe they should have treated the hags better. <laughs> 
and the werewolves better, and we Maybe wouldn't we have had have. this problem. Don't push them to the fringes yeah. of Narnian political society. Exactly. Or else they'll become extreme and rally behind a charismatic leader. Exactly. Like Jadis. Which is exactly. her name, for yes. the record. Yes. I, I don't think that's referenced in this book at all. Really? It might be when they list off all her titles. I don't remember. Okay. But yes, her name is Jadis. Yes. We learned that in the prequel. They rescue Edmund before he is killed. And he and Aslan then go to have a conversation, mm. which is not conveyed to the reader at all. Mm. Which is kind of interesting and like neat, I think, that we don't get to hear that conversation. Mm-hmm. Again, I think I would be a little bit kinder towards that if not for the Christian allegory. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Because, like, that, again, it sort of takes on this weird religious connotation. It does. Whereas, if not, it would be kind of like, oh, it's a private conversation. It's kind of nice that we don't learn what it is. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I, I Now that you mention it, I kind of struggle with that. No, it's maybe struggle is not the right word. Perhaps that's too strong of a word. But I kind of agree with you in that, mm-hmm. like, confessional kind of, yeah, I guess. Yeah, but, a little bit. But I kind of wish it wasn't. I absolve you of, my, of your sins kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. but I kind of wish it was just a discussion. And, and that's just yeah. me, though. It is what it is. Yeah. But Aslan brings him back over to his siblings and says, there is no need to speak of the past. Edmund's learned his lesson, basically. Mm -hmm. But Edmund does say, I'm sorry. And the others are just kind of like, "Eh, it's all right. Yeah. And all is forgiven. And so, then back to black. Yeah. Right? Yep. And the witch shows up. This is the part where we get the whole bit about the deep magic. Yes. And how the traitors of the world belong to her. Mm-hmm. They are her property. And such she, as Edmund. Yes, such as Edmund. And she is demanding that she has the right to his life now. She has the right to kill him. Mm-hmm. And she's like, this is the deep magic. And that this was her role. Like, this was given to her by the emperor beyond the sea mm-hmm. which is interesting again that is interesting that she was yeah. kind of part of this whole ordering ordering of things and again yes. I haven't read The Magician's Nephew in a long time I do not remember <sighs> if they go into that and maybe we'll get into that if, if slash when we read it yeah but just very interesting in the interim mm-hmm. I remember bits of The Magician's Nephew because it literally is that it's the ordering of everything mm-hmm. right it's the creation of everything mm-hmm. and the origins of all of these characters mm-hmm. Aslan and and Jadis and and Aslan agrees that he understands the deep magic mm-hmm. and that this is how things work and Susan turns to him and says like oh can't you do something about this like can't we ignore the deep magic basically mm. and Aslan just kind of frowns at her mm. as in like like no we can't Don't disobey the emperor that, Susan. Yeah. yeah come on Susan <laughs> Don't disobey God I mean the emperor <laughs> You know, actually, interesting, because in uh, you know Christian theology better than I do. Uh, so, yeah. Does Lucifer have property? Bequeath them? Isn't he a prisoner? Isn't he imprisoned in because he's a fallen angel? Like, what's... I don't know, because that's another thing. Again, as with Lilith, there's so much popular culture about Satan, yeah. and I genuinely can't remember how much is laid out in the actual Bible versus mm. what's just come up as a result of Dante's Divine Comedy mm-hmm, or mm-hmm. Paradise Lost. Like, I, I honestly don't know where all those things tease out to. Because, yeah, there is that question of, like, is is Lucifer the ruler of hell? Like, is he in charge of hell? Does he have... And I think this is a theological debate that people have also, is that, like, is Satan part of God's plan, basically? Mm-hmm. Or, or is he a prisoner there as well? And I don't know what the answer is in, in sort of standard Christian Indeed. theology. <laughs> Fair enough, fair enough. I guess that's a pretty big topic to tackle. Yeah, Um, I do know he doesn't come up in the Bible very often. 
Hmm, curious. Anyway. <laughs> anyway. As you were saying. So Aslan and the witch work something out so that Edmund isn't going to die. He doesn't tell anyone the details of this. Mm-hmm. But of course, that night, Aslan's kind of sad and everyone else is kind of bummed out too, just as a result. And Susan and Lucy can't sleep. So they wake up in the middle of the night and decide to check on Aslan. And he's wandering off to the stone table. Mm-hmm. And they follow him and he lets them walk with him up to a certain point and then says like okay I have to go on alone now don't watch what's about to happen I'm hearing Qui-Gon Jinn's voice (laughs) in my head oh good times the witch and all of her people are at the stone table and they're very mocking of Aslan as he approaches mm-hmm. and she says, the fool has come and they tie him down and they shave his mane and uh-huh. just try to disparage him and, and knock him down. Mm-hmm. And But they're also kind of clearly afraid of him and mm-hmm. Susan and Lucy are just horrified. The witch, before she brings, she has like a stone knife. Mm-hmm. Before she stabs him, she tells Aslan that she'll kill everyone anyway. She's mm-hmm. still going to wage this war and his sacrifice doesn't make any difference. And she says, in that knowledge, despair and die. And then... So good. Sorry, that shouldn't have been my initial reaction. <laughs> You're Sad. just picturing Tilda Swinton. That's exactly what I... In that outfit with the freaking chainmail and her sword and such a good scene. Anyway, yes. So, of course, this is meant to represent... The, the crucifixion. Exactly. The ultimate sacrifice to save all of mankind mm-hmm. from... From our own sins. Yeah, or just one person in this case. In this case, yeah. (laughs) Edmund representing the wretched of the earth, I suppose. I would Um, assume. The the blood of the the perfect, perfect sacrifice being spilt in order to be the the forever sacrifice, meaning that no need for any other blood sacrifices Mm -hmm. in the future, being the Christian theology side of things. And in this case, Aslan self-sacrifice to save Edmund so that the prophecy can come true, Mm -hmm. yada yada. Yes. So. Susan and Lucy are crying and after the, the witch and her people have left, they go over and they untie Aslan and they're mm-hmm. helped by some mice that like chew through the ropes. Mm-hmm. And they stay with him as the sun rises. Mm-hmm. And then they, they stand up for a moment to kind of warm up because it's cold. And as they step away from the table, it cracks in mm-hmm. two. And Aslan reveals himself to be alive again mm-hmm. and says that the witch was unaware of a deeper magic <laughs> that the deeper magic states that if a willing person was killed on the table, an innocent person, that it would crack and that death would begin to work backwards. Mm. And I guess maybe also he gets some powers? I don't know. We're a bit unclear about Uh, all of the... The breath. Yeah. Yes, indeed. The the ramifications. But anyway, so they play around for a little bit, just kind of enjoying... The fact that he's alive The fact that he's alive. Um, Cuddles on the stone table Exactly, Yeah. yeah. He instructs them to ride on him to the witch's house. Mm-hmm. where they Epic find scene. yeah they find all of the people that she has turned to stone mm. which again this has worked out pretty well for them that she turned them to stone rather than executing them but anyway again maybe not the best decision <laughs> again on her part. tactically yeah. uh, I'm I'm thinking I don't know if this works within the the metaphor here but are the people who are turned to stone instead of killed by the witch meant to be people in purgatory I have no idea honestly that never occurred to me in the past maybe it never occurred to me because teachers never told it to me because that's not what it's meant to represent yeah but... i have no idea hmm. 
Okay, curious. It's a thought that's going to fester. It's interesting, yeah. Because, yeah, yeah, I I wonder if this is meant to be... Because after Jesus comes back to life... Exactly right. Yeah. He goes to purgatory and I think takes all those souls to heaven, doesn't he? Or something like that? Yeah, and he he also does... I think it's called the harrowing of hell, right? Where he kind of does... He does like a bit of a tour of the afterlife. He does. Yeah. Yeah, he does. And he goes in there and... Does he beat the devil in hell? Does he go to... (laughs) Again, popular culture kind of mixing. And also, I'm very certain that there's different versions of that story. Like, I know I've, I've... like heard of some apocrypha that deal with the harrowing of hell in different ways and so I genuinely cannot remember what is actually in Bible but yeah I wonder if that's sort of meant to be that that's interesting Mm. I hadn't thought of that before yeah okay anyway Mm. anyway so he he breathes on the statues and they come back to life including of course Mr. Tumnus and he and Lucy reunite and it's very adorable and once they have all these reinforcements they rush to the battle of Aslan's forces versus the witch's forces Mm -hmm. and the witch is back battling Peter. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, you don't get any of the battle in the book. You don't get any of the battle in the book. Oh, that's right. <laughs> we uh. get all of the information after the fact. Yeah, Peter's just telling stories yeah. or something. Yeah. Oh my gosh, I forgot about it's, that. I remember you hated that. I, yeah, I wasn't a big fan of it. <laughs> I remember still in not grade a big four, you were so pissed about that. <laughs> about the fact that they didn't even try to describe the battle. It's more interesting in the movie. Like, the Much. stakes feel higher Much. when you actually get to see it. Oh, yeah. But Aslan comes in and just jumps on the witch mm-hmm. and kills her, I guess. We're not really given an in-depth description about what happens Eats there. Her face. Eats her face. Eats her face. In the movie, that's what he does anyway. He... <laughs> yeah, you get sort of the view of him like, ah. Yeah, exactly right. Yeah, like he jumps on her. They have a moment of, oh, hello, it's you, you know, like looking at <laughs> yeah. locking eyes and then just, rah, 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 you know, he just digs in. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Which is like a little bit more violent than a little. perhaps the intended implication of C.S. Lewis. Yeah, but okay. Children's book in the 1950s, but... Yeah. Then Peter just kind of mentions the fact that, like, the reason that we're doing really well in the battle is because of Edmund, because he smashed the witch's wand. Right. Which made it that she couldn't turn people to stone, but was wounded in the process, again, which happened off screen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so they just kind of see that Edmund is wounded. They mm-hmm. all take this very calmly also. Like, he's wounded fairly severely, mm-hmm. and everyone's just kind of like, oh, By oh dear. Bye, Joe. Bye, Joe. Joe. Just like British children should. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Stiff upper lip at all times. That's it. But Lucy, of course, goes over and gives Edmund a couple drops from the cordial she got for Christmas with the magic potion Mm -hmm. in it. And Aslan's like, okay, Lucy, let's go help some of the other wounded. And she's like, oh, just a second. Like, I want to make sure it works. And Aslan's like, um, excuse me. It works. (laughs) It works. (laughs) Come on. Like, he's very disapproving of that. And I'm like, okay, chill out for two seconds, Aslan. Like, anyway. So she does. She heals a whole bunch of people. I don't know if we're ever given an understanding of how much liquid is in this cordial. Because it seems like a very valuable commodity. Commodity. Mm-hmm. Cure all that ails you. Cure, yeah, really, honestly. But we learn that when she sees Edmund next, some minutes or hours later, he looks better than he had since he'd started at that horrible school where he first went wrong, which is the first we have heard of this mysterious school <laughs> that screwed him up. Okay, sure. I, Was Edmund in boarding school? Doesn't I, matter. Well, I think That's... they all were. Yeah. So I'm confused about why it screwed him up and not 
Peter also at the very least. Because you think it would be the same school. Because you think it would be the same school. Whatever. Anyway, no time for questioning that. Aslan knights Edmund as well. We don't get any detail about whether or not he uses a sword. Sword or not. I like how you noted that. Thank you. (laughs) I thought it was important. Lucy and Susan talk about whether or not they should tell Edmund that Aslan died for him and decide that maybe they better not. Okay. And I don't know how I feel about yeah, that. I was going to say, I didn't remember that. I didn't remember that. I didn't even really think about it, whether Aslan told him or not. Well, but. it's interesting to me because, yeah, in I don't think in the movies they talk about it either. Right. It makes me curious to know, like, that that's apparently not part of... Like, I guess it becomes part of the story later on, mm. but there isn't that element of, like, oh, we need to celebrate this miracle that mm-hmm. has happened. We need mm-hmm. to celebrate this big thing that Aslan did. It's all just kind of like, oh, everything's fine and everything has been fine yeah. and Edmund may or may not ever learn that Aslan died for him which is kind of intense. A little bit and you know I'm just thinking that's very much a departure from mm-hmm. Christian theology wherein yeah. everybody knew that Jesus was back mm-hmm. to the to the extent that he you know sparked the most prolific religion <laughs> yeah. of all time but maybe it's meant to represent his humility mm-hmm. you know the humility that Christ had dying for the Maybe? sins of the masses. Yeah, um, trying to show that, like... Or our ignorance. Yeah. Just generally. Yeah, yeah, and that, like, neither Aslan nor Jesus were doing it for attention. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> Aslan takes them to Care Paravel, and he names them kings and queens of Narnia. Mm-hmm. We get the information that once a king or queen in Narnia, always a king or queen in Narnia, mm-hmm. which would seem like a very strange thing out of context. Indeed, yeah. <laughs> like Clearly what? someone had a plan. Yeah, like, what What do you mean, once a king, always a king? What? Aslan, what? That goes without saying, doesn't mm-hmm. it? But Aslan knows. And also raises some questions about politics for later on in it the re- series. That's but where that's, my mind first yeah, went, but children's book. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I mean, I guess they kind of get into that a little bit. I think the movies do a better job of showing like the tensions, at least in Prince Caspian, between like King Peter and King Caspian, mm-hmm, or mm-hmm. like Prince to be crowned King Caspian, mm-hmm. and like, we are all kings here. Yeah. <laughs> Legally, yeah. we are all recognized as kings. We learn that the children stay in Narnia, they grow up, they spend time stamping out the rest of the witch's army, they save the trees, and they stop school, which, again, school? Yeah, that's interesting. That's interesting. Interesting as well that they would stop it, because you yeah. think that, was that something that the witch instituted? Yeah, was, because... the, was this like a propaganda school? Yeah. Like, and we don't see any children in this novel. Good like, point. there yeah. are no little beavers running around. Yeah. Anyway, (laughs) and I understand that that is probably a thing that children would do if they became kings and queens suddenly is like, oh, no more school. Yeah. No more school ever. Absolutely. I I understand that. I just have questions about why Narnia has a school system and what it looks like. It's very advanced for its time. It is, especially because like I have no concept of what the population of Narnia is. Like how many people are there in Narnia? Probably pretty sparse considering that the queen knows where the beavers live. She knows where Mr. and Mrs. Beaver are. Admittedly, their dam was very close to her house. So (laughs) they were neighbors, I guess. So, like, okay. But still, like, they cross a decent amount of Narnia, I guess. I don't know. Anyway, that's maybe off topic. A digression? (laughs) Us? No. They, They also ban busybodies. 
Right. They encourage ordinary people to live and let live. I don't know what this means. What either of those means. <laughs> but I'm pretty sure that means we're banished. Yeah. Whatever that like, is. Again, it's one of those lines that just kind of stuck there for me. And I was like, but why? What does that mean? What does that mean? What does that accomplish? Like, no nosy people? Yeah. Like, no. And again, like, live and let live is not exactly compatible with evangelism, not to get political. No but, kidding. No kidding. But maybe Christians are the only ordinary people. I I don't know. Well, that's kind of what I was thinking, uh, right? When they uh, said, you know, banish all the busybodies yeah, and what does that embrace mean? all the ordinary people. <laughs> it's such a loaded phrase yeah. to come in at the, like the last page of the book. Bet you they banished all the dark-haired dwarves too, didn't Probably. they? Probably. <laughs> busybodies, uh, every one of them. Like I said, they stamp out the rest of the witch's army, which like, what does that mean? Like, does that mean that they got rid of like all of the species that were helping her out? Like, are it's we true. in the realm of like werewolf persecution now? Mm-hmm. Like, what's... I get that like they, they didn't maybe want to lead to rebellions, but like... Still some troubling implications Still here. Yeah, yeah, not to mention, I think that in Prince Caspian, and again, this is a bit mm. of a digression, I'm pretty sure you see some of the witches' forces, like, remnants you of You do, yeah. Yeah. If I remember correctly. Yeah, well, we do. We do see some of the witches' forces. So well, goes, we see, like, of. two of them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah a <Anyway>. little bit. <laughs> anyway. And we learn that they become known as Peter the Magnificent. Mm -hmm. Peter is also, I didn't mention this, but he's crowned the High King. Yes. Which, like, that's got to be a bit of a... Snub to Edmund. snub to Edmund. Well, I mean, he did betray them. He did betray them. All is forgiven, but... Mm, But Peter's the High King. But Aslan never forgets, you know (laughs) what I'm saying? Don't deviate from his plan. But that was part of the plan. I mean, this is also the debate about, like, Judas. Indeed. And I have had... I talk about that. Okay, so for your content, you know, this is a digression (laughs) and a half. I'm just gonna... In, like, elementary school, we had a project wherein we had to pick a historical figure that we would want to have dinner with and... I have vague memories of this, mm -hmm, yes. And list out questions that we wanted to ask them. And I insisted on picking Judas and asking him how he felt about being framed because (laughs) if there is a divine plan and everyone has to stick to the divine plan then there's no free will then Judas didn't decide to turn in Jesus and Judas didn't decide to kill himself thereby sending himself straight to hell according to some Christian theologies so did God sentence Judas to hell and if he did how does Judas feel about that anyway digression out (laughs) I can move on all to say I talk about that project like probably once a month and that was that would have been many years. like grade six maybe 20, uh, 15 years ago yeah yeah okay so yeah and moving the, right along the question of like if edmund had not betrayed his siblings yes maybe a bit questionable if edmund is meant to be a judas mm. analogy here but i don't think it's a terrible analogy to make oh, yeah. if edmund had not betrayed his siblings mm. Aslan would never have been able to sacrifice himself, which means he would never have been able to come back. And, like, I guess it's questionable if any of that was avoidable, because, again, I don't know that we get a clear view of whether or not that was necessary, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but, but I, it I, raises the question. Well, and not to mention the fact that the Emperor Beyond the Sea allegedly mm-hmm. gave 
Jadis, the White Witch, yeah. authority yeah. over the traitors of the world, yeah. right? So that right there implies that there was some a sort plan. of a divine plan yeah. that could not be deviated from. Was, and was Aslan just waiting for the right traitor to come along? Like Potentially. And now we're kind of sliding right anyway. into the analysis. So yes. why don't you go on? Well, and... <laughs> we are very close to the end, yeah. so we'll just finish this off. So they become Peter the Magnificent, the Magnificent Himbo, uh, <laughs> Susan, Susan the Gentle, That's it. Edmund the Just, mm-hmm. and Lucy the Valiant. That's it. She gets the best one. She really does. Um, well, Peter the Magnificent is pretty, pretty good. good. <laughs> was Edmund the Just? The Just. The Just. Yeah. Which, yeah. Well. <laughs> is, was he? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's not... we, we learn that he becomes more just i guess but anyway so one day the children the pevensies who are now adults Mm -hmm. and who now don't really remember the world that they came from they hear about a white stag out Mm -hmm. in the woods and they decide that they're going to go and hunt it Mm -hmm. and while they're doing that they come across the lamppost which Mm -hmm. they don't recognize i think they mentioned that it it brings up a queer feeling for them um (laughs) like a, a slight memory sure so they they are going through the woods and of course they end up back in the wardrobe and back in the quote-unquote real world Mm. and they come out of the wardrobe this is all sped through very quickly Mm. just in terms of like narrative like they don't really give any weight or time to what it would feel like to be an adult and suddenly be slammed back into your child body we did discuss this this is what we discussed we did talk about Mm -hmm. this because that is horrifying that is a trauma. Me. Yes. Yeah. And they don't really address it as such. God, Possibly... could you imagine? I, yeah, no. Oh my God. Now I'm, I'm just starting to, yeah. th- uh, to our listeners here, think about that. In yeah. your case in particular, mm. you're an adult, you know, you're 25, living your mm. life, and then you're 10 yeah. again, back where you were when you were 10. Mm-hmm. No, thank you. Yeah. But. No, not not, not my no, choice. Not my no, favorite. No. They go to the professor because they feel compelled to explain where his coats went. Right. Because they took them off when it became spring. Right. In Narnia and. Left them. Left them. The Sinners. professor. Yeah. The professor is not surprised to hear that there is a world in his wardrobe. And he says, oh, well, you won't be getting back that way, but I'm sure you'll be back there eventually. Because once a king in Narnia, always a king in Narnia. Mm-hmm. And then they, they get like one last weird dig at the school system where he says like what do they teach kids in school these days oh yeah (laughs) forgot about that and then that's where the book ends and there you have it abrupt abrupt very abrupt very like yeah we just sped on through quite a bit of stuff there indeed so let's unpack it shall we (laughs) they forgot they were what let's say Let's go ahead and generously say the children were 40. You know, yeah. Let's go ahead and say they were quite old. 40-year-olds mm-hmm. still remember what happened to them when they were 10, yeah. 15, 12, however old the Pevensies were, respectively. Yeah. So why did they forget? Yeah. And does this have a metaphorical, I don't know, is there something there? I don't know. I don't know if there's necessarily a metaphorical aspect to that, or if it's just like a magical sort mm-hmm. of like C.S. Lewis thought 
thought it would be more interesting if they believe that they've always been in Narnia mm-hmm. kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it does it does raise some questions about like, and maybe that's just a plot device. I think it is to probably. make it so that they exit accidentally. Yeah, I think that's what it is most realistically. Mm-hmm. It's probably just a plot device used by C.S. Lewis. But I mean, they drank the Kool Aid. They did Sorry. drink the Kool Aid. They drank the Kool Aid, and they forgot about their life prior. They forgot mm-hmm. about the people who were in their lives yeah. before they met Aslan. And <laughs> it's a little bit culty. Well, they, yeah, you said it, not me, right? And and they become so enveloped in mm-hmm. this world, heavily laced with religion, wherein mm-hmm. they each become kings and queens, that they forget about their family, any of their loved ones from beforehand. And as we will learn later on, mm-hmm. spoiler alert for the rest of the series, the only one who wakes up from this, let's call it a delusion, to play <laughs> devil's advocate, is Susan, the clever one. Yeah. So interesting enough there. Moving on from that, the amnesia, suspicious amnesia. Before I get into my usual end of book questions, what is the moral of this story? God's always right? Follow Jesus? I think so. Is I that think the moral? Because so. that's like, the children really don't have a lot of agency in this story. Not at all. And when they try to express agency, like Lucy saying, mm. maybe I should wait to see if this potion works. Aslan shuts her down. Exactly. And there there was, I, jeez, I, I wish that I had written it down, but there was another instance <laughs> wherein I think it was Susan has a yeah. question for Aslan or like questions she, him. She begs him to stop the queen from killing her brother. Yes, questions the deep magic. Yeah. And, and he says, no, no, no. As you said, they don't have a whole ton of agency. Their suggestions and thoughts and potential solutions are mm-hmm. bad ones that are dismissed. Yeah. What's the moral of the story here? In some respects, I do think C.S. Lewis, like this is maybe a um, sort of a, a Watsonian versus a Doyleist kind of question of mm-hmm. like authorial intent versus what comes out in the story mm-hmm. itself. Fair, absolutely, absolutely, Which, it is. Yeah, yeah and I, I, I do, I do think C.S. Lewis was writing this from a point of view of wanting to entertain children, mm-hmm. wanting to make them a nice story. Mm-hmm. And then also the moral that you should maybe obey Jesus mm-hmm. and, like, be faithful. Right. And I don't know to what extent that was intentional, in this book specifically especially. Mm-hmm. Like, I think it gets more intentional as the <laughs> books go on. Definitely gets more explicit. It definitely gets more explicit. But I can understand how maybe some of this might have slipped in accidentally to mm-hmm. some extent. Like, the amount of just do what Aslan says. Yeah. Well, also, uh, I'm sure the novel is a product of its time. Mm-hmm. Mm. Right? This was written in the 50s, a time when religion was more prevalent in society, Mm -hmm. especially Christianity in England. Uh, Yeah, yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And I'd also like to say here for our our listeners, I love C.S. Lewis. I love the Narnia series. I, the books, I've admittedly only read them once, and that was a long time ago. (laughs) But the movies I've watched a ton of times, and Mm -hmm. I love them, especially Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. So these aren't meant to be criticisms of the author or the material Mm -hmm. in a malicious way. At all. Yeah. We're just, like we said at the beginning, we're just two people who think we're funny. Yeah. We're just picking it apart as we do, <laughs> but no disrespect to. The Absolutely. man, the man, the, yeah. the CS, what was his name? Clive. So, Clive Staples. That's Staples, it. yes. No disrespect, no disrespect. But anyway, moral of the story, perhaps a little unclear. And also, like, this would have come also, I think, at a time of great obedience to authority for a lot of people, especially, like, 
we're coming off of the Second World War. We're coming off mm-hmm. of like the sort of keep calm and carry on mm-hmm. mindset of venerating people like Winston Churchill. You mm-hmm. know, trying to uphold that that authority that they have because there was trust, I think, in that authority to some extent in in a way that maybe we don't have now. Mm-hmm. And I, I wonder if that also plays a role too. That it's like, oh, just just do what the people in charge say. Mm-hmm. Follow what you're supposed to do. Well, and that that kind of leads beautifully into we've already discussed free will mm. and, and the topic of free will in the series and whether or not these characters actually have any mm. have any agency whatsoever or whether this is all part of some grand scheme some mm-hmm. grand plan the prophecies right there are yeah. prophecies that two sons of adam and two daughters of eve will enter narnia and save it from the white mm-hmm. witch right? yeah interestingly though if we are going to examine the argument that the children have no free will mm-hmm. that there is a grand plan that everyone from Aslan to the White Witch to the children are subject to mm-hmm. how do we explain Susan mm-hmm. later on in the series again apologies spoilers we didn't cover this but Susan deviates let's yes. say from the plan in later <laughs> deviates, books. I think is a very good word to use. Thank you. How do we reconcile that? Yeah. Do we? Is, is our understanding of free will in Narnia yeah. wrong then? The, and this maybe gets into a deeper theological question than I necessarily want to drag us into does it become a question of the plan in our world as well? Because Mm -hmm. especially the people in Narnia were abused under the White Witch's rule. Mm -hmm. And going forward, like after this, we learn that again, spoilers for Prince Caspian, that novel is about colonialism and attempted genocide, kind Mm -hmm. of. Like, Mm -hmm. we learn that this race of people called the Telmarines Mm -hmm. moved into Narnia and tried to wipe the native Narnians out. Mm -hmm. Like, that's heavy Mm -hmm. stuff. And C.S. Lewis does not, I think, adequately deal with how heavy that is. Yeah. But again, it raises this question for me, at least, of like, was that all part of the plan? Was there a plan? Indeed. Indeed. And again, like I said, this is sort of that question of if God, then why do bad things happen? And Mm -hmm. like, that's not necessarily the conversation I want to have. Not quite. But it's a little little deep. Yeah. But we're just talking fiction here. We're talking this fictional version of events and like this fictional world wherein the question of free will is very murky. Yeah. Very murky. Very much so. But indeed, lots to lots to think Mm -hmm. about there. Good, yeah. good thought to let simmer. And now on to, I guess, the usual finishing question. Were you satisfied with this rereading? Uh, mm. in, like, I had a feeling that would be your answer. Yeah. I mean, I was never a huge fan of the Narnia books for lots of the reasons that we've laid out. That, mm-hmm. like, I always was interested in stories with characters who had more agency over what they were living through. And I, I think the movies, I think, do a better job of connecting with the emotions at Mm. least that like make it feel more real make the stakes feel higher make it feel more I don't know if exciting is quite the right word but like involving maybe Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. we see more of the children being chased we see more of like the desperate escape from the witch we see more of the battle and that's not that I'm like hungry for action movies necessarily but I think that having that element at least helps us care a little more about what happens to them Mm -hmm. so I was never like 
like a huge fan of the Narnia series, even as a kid. And I remember. Yeah. <laughs> I always preferred the movies. Mm-hmm. And I, I still think I prefer the movies. I've watched them more frequently than I've read the books. Mm. So in that sense, like, I think I always felt a little bit like, eh, satisfied, mm-hmm. not so satisfied by the books. But it was interesting to go back and to like see these pieces that I had forgotten about. And I do honestly kind of enjoy like C.S. Lewis's narrative voice is so weird and like so (laughs) old timey Mm -hmm. that it's kind of adorable. Mm -hmm. And it's so different from how people write nowadays unless they're like really going for a specific style that I I did kind of find that part interesting, even Mm -hmm. as much as it doesn't really work for me from a getting invested in the story point of view. Right, right. Yeah, but how, how did you feel about, you know, this revisit? Yeah, well, I mean, originally, you probably recall from grade four, I <laughs> freaking loved it. I yeah. loved the book and I loved the movie even more. This time around, I think that, of course, my my rehearing is probably colored with nostalgia, rose-colored goggles, but I did enjoy it. I was satisfied but i don't know could have been honestly the christian imagery doesn't bother me in the slightest to Mm -hmm. be honest it's a great story it's a really good great story um you know the the story of jesus is an interesting story also absolutely yeah indeed it is some would say the greatest story ever told a lot of people claim but i don't know i understand why he did it but bring the children back at the end i find a little uh jarring and that's probably what he was going for right he was probably going for jarring probably going for dragging these children back into the real Mm. world with all these lessons learned go find the the real aslan of your world wink wink oh will we ever get back who knows whimsy and that was very much the flavor of the time also like in terms of i'm thinking of like peter pan which i know Mm -hmm. was also like Mm -hmm. that was i think 1913 or something that predates this by at least a couple decades i believe Mm -hmm. but like in terms of the way that we thought about children and adventure stories there was like a definite i mean wizard of Oz as Mm -hmm. well, sort of some of these stories involving children going off to worlds with the understanding that like, of course the children would want to come back afterwards. Mm -hmm. And I think the reason that Narnia sticks with me a little bit more than the others is that in the others, the kids choose to go back. Indeed. Indeed. Ah, maybe that's it. Maybe it's that it's accidental. Yeah. I think that's why that bugs me so much is because it's like they were happy as kings and queens. They had no desire at any point to go back to their real lives. And I don't know if that's realistic or not, Mm -hmm. but... Very clever. I think that's what it is for me, too, that I find a little... I don't know. It just kind of leaves a... I don't want to say it leaves a bad flavor in my mouth, but rather it doesn't leave a flavor in my mouth. I'm not satisfied. I want a little more. It's like you've taken the flavor out of my mouth (laughs) after you've given it to me, you know? It's... it's, Indeed, I think that's it. The accidental nature of it all, the fact Mm -hmm. that they stumble into their old lives and just can't go back, Mm -hmm. right? Leaves me full of regret, full Mm -hmm. of no. Why? Mm -hmm. The stag. Yeah. I must get the stag, you know? Yeah, but, ooh, yeah. Little Narnia. The and Tumbers, the, apparently. And again, and maybe if the books dealt more with the grief related to it. And of course, we won't know until Prince Caspian that lots of time passes between now and when they do return to Narnia and that, like, all of their friends are dead when they right. get back. We won't know that until the next book. Yes. But still, that's kind of messed up. 
Yes. Talk about grief. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Unresolved things. I think that you're right. I think that if, if he did put in a little bit of that grief, mm-hmm. at, hey, Paradise Lost. Yeah. Right? Acknowledging that. No, not even the fact that they've been shoved back into their 10-year-old selves, 10-year-old bodies, 10-year-old with their, their adult minds. But the fact that they've lost so much, mm-hmm. right? And they don't really acknowledge that. Yeah, that's... Which is why I think, like I said, I think the, the movies work for me a little bit better because they do spend some time on that. Mm. They do spend time on like, oh, wow, like this would be hard to adjust to and mm-hmm. going back to Narnia would be difficult mm-hmm. and like full of potential hardship and mm-hmm. like strong emotions. Mm-hmm. Anyway, just standing for the movies, I guess now. Fair but. enough. <laughs> Me too. Me too. Again, Tilda, if you're listening, I love you. That's it. Remember when we thought this would be a half an hour episode? Yeah, remember yeah. When, when I said maybe the episode will be short, like yeah. we'll run really short, so yeah. I'll, I'll prep Prince Caspian too. Been here for two hours. How long have we been recording? Uh, an hour and 40 minutes. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Well, sorry to our listeners. <laughs> Wow, holy crow. Okay, uh, well, we so, have to do the others, because I enjoyed that way too much. I really enjoyed that, too. Yeah. I'm excited. I think we should definitely... I mean, I've already prepped Prince Caspian, they so, like, it. that's already ready to they go. And by we, you mean you. But, yeah. <laughs> and for that, I thank you. And I guess, okay, we've gone over all my, my questions. We've mm-hmm. done the analysis, unless there's anything else you want to add. I don't think so. Like like I said, if we do... I, which I hope we do more of the Narnia books. Agreed. Like, I think there's a lot more to talk about. And they're fun. They are fun. Yeah. And it's, it's fun to, like, both remember pieces of the stories mm-hmm, too mm-hmm. in that case would you like to introduce our next book do we have another? 2021 <laughs> i haven't actually thought about what i want to do next oh. so i guess i guess we will leave that for now <laughs> sure it'll it's be a, a mystery su- it'll be a surprise for all of us <laughs> <laughs> sure will and in that case if you've enjoyed listening mm-hmm. and presumably you have goodness i enjoyed recording this episode so much fun Me too. but uh presumably you have since you made it all the way to the end please leave a rating a thumbs up up a like or subscribe depending on your respective podcast streaming platform you can reach us at brodaciousbookclub at gmail.com you can also reach us on facebook and twitter as at book brodacious or just by searching the brodacious book club you could give us a follow if you want to reach out to us with any recommendations for Please things we do. should oh cover gosh. in the new year we'll do it yeah we'll do it if you give <laughs> us a recommendation we'll just we'll freaking do it yeah, so we'll <laughs> don't be afraid i know that you're out there i see you so just send us an email or whatever you know please take yeah, two seconds be cool. and we'll do it we'll, we'll do whatever book you want that might be a that's not <laughs> a blank check that's but a blank check you knows, just wrote there my immortal yeah baby <laughs> i mean i would be down for that oh my god that would be the best <laughs> so much to analyze oh anyway we digress and uh this is our last episode of the year so have a really safe and hopefully happy holiday season for anyone out there who's celebrating anything at this time of year have a have a happy new year i hope we hope that's it that's it i've been aaron rockford and i'm matt thomas thanks for listening to the brodacious book club this year it's been a really great first year sure first of many first of many we hope and Merry Christmas to all and to all. (laughs) There it is. That's a wrap. (laughs) And also other holidays. And also all of the other holidays.